Hello, hello, hello. How is everybody doing today, this evening, this morning, this afternoon? I trust everyone is doing well. Here in the great state of Wisconsin, it can't get no better than this. Snow on the ground, icy roads, in the heartland, the Midwest, as they say. I trust everyone is doing well, enjoying, as they say, the winter uh, vortex that we're in. I, I hope everybody stays safe this week. It's going to be very cold, which means not so nice weather. But what can I say? Here in Wisconsin, what do you expect? A Wisconsin winter really makes you wonder if you love winter. And that has to be true. So before we begin, I just hope everybody is safe. <sighs> ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. This week has been interesting in politics. It has been a week for the ages. You know, me and my buddy talk, and, and he says, he says, Mark, how are you doing? I say, you know what? You know what's the one thing I learned this year? People are easily manipulated. The one thing Trump did his first year he said, don't trust the media, trust me. Don't trust anyone, trust me. And as we saw what happened on the 6th, that's what got us there. And so, you know, it makes you wonder how he just said, I lost fear and square. The election was not rigged. Had he just said those words, you know, people were living in this echo chamber where they were being force fed the same knowledge over and over, even if they didn't believe it. Or they did believe it. The election was stolen, stopped the steal, and that's what led us to where we were. You know, and it's to the people who, once they got arrested and they realized that they were not entitled to do what they did, you know, the president did not, you know, have their back because as he left office, not one pardon. And so what you see now, you're seeing a lot of people wake up and start to say, wait a minute, what did I do? We have to get out of the cycle we're in. We have to be willing to talk to the other side. You know, if not, we'll be in these echo chambers wanting to watch CNN, Fox, you know, and just be fed the same garbage over and over. We have to be willing to reach across the aisle and talk to our fellow man. If you ask anybody, what do you want? What is your biggest want on this earth? They would say a good job, a good school to raise my kids, and a good neighborhood to live in with my family.
That is what I want, and that's what you want. That should be the building block. That should be the building block to grow. Yet it is not because we allow the talking heads to pull us apart. They have no desire for us to come together. Their desire is for us to only buy in to what they want us to buy into. And that's what Trump saw. He said, don't believe the media. Believe me. And now people are possibly going to jail for 15, 20 years over a lie. You know, I feel for those people to wake up and realize the pardon wasn't coming. To wake up on the 20th and realize no Democrats were being rounded up. I feel for those people. They sat in this echo chamber. They did not want to listen to the other side. They just wanted to listen to what they thought was right. Sometimes if you hear a different opinion, you know, hear a different a different fact, a different viewpoint, it can change your whole outlook on life. You know, Barry White said when he was in jail, when he was in jail, he heard an Elvis Presley song. And from that moment on, it changed his life. I, I believe the song was Now or Never. It's, it's Now or Never. And he realized the path he was going on was not right, was not justified, and he had to change it. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to have a bare white moment now in this country. I've been, I have not been more scared right now than I am now. I feel like we are more divided than we've ever been. We're so closed in and we don't want to hear the other side. What do we want? Listen to your friend. Talk to him. What are his wants? What are his likes? What are her wants? What are her likes? You like Donald Trump. He likes Joe Biden. You're a Republican. He's a Democrat. But if you push that all away, what is the one thing you want right now in this life? Health care. A good paying job. We have to do the things we don't want to do. We have to be willing to have the conversations we refuse to have. Because if not, there is no going back to where I see where we're at. You know, and Joe Biden came in, and I feel like we put too much pressure on him. I feel like sometimes we can overload a president with our hopes and wants when he comes in. But 
We have to realize he is only human. Joe Biden came in and he said he wanted to be a unifier. He said he wanted to work with the other side. So the other day he met with 10 Republican senators for two hours to hear their objections to his bill. To hear his, their, his you know, he wanted to hear their bill. I want to give 1400 You only want to give 6 I support state aid. You do not. But at the end of the day, he said, I will not take a watered-down bill, and I will push this through on reconciliation. Ladies and gentlemen, it makes me wonder that Joe Biden come to the realization that he can't work with the other side, or that he could. It just was too hard. It just was too hard. If you want to be a unifier, Mr. President, you have to be willing to unify. You have to be willing to talk to the other side. You did, but you, it's almost like I feel like he lied to us. Or did he not lie, but he realized what he was facing? There are some people on the right who do not want to listen to Joe Biden, and they feel like he is not the legitimate president. So my question, you know, I would get from my friend would be like, how do you negotiate with someone like that? How do you negotiate with somebody who doesn't think you won an election fair and square? I looked at my friend and I said, I don't know. You hear him out. You hear him out, but you let him, let them know that you are the president. You look them dead in the eye and say, are you appeasing your base? Or is this what you truly feel? Because if you're appeasing your base, by all means, behind Google's doors, let's cut a deal. But if you're not even willing to hear me out, and you're so dug in, there is no way we can write the course and become whole again. Some people say Joe Biden's got the power now. He needs to, he needs to use it. And who's to say the Republicans would actually are really negotiating in good faith? Who's to say they're not just going to draw it out and make people suffer and wait longer than they need to be? I'm one that says we need to unify. I'm one to say there, there's something in common between the parties. I am one to say I'm willing to put in the hard work to get it done. But just like Joe Biden, I feel him on this, I will not wait while the American people suffer to negotiate a deal. Republicans understand what people's going on. They see people in their districts hurting. It's just not a blue state, blue district problem. It's a 50 state problem. It's a red state problem as well as a blue state problem. But if they will not acknowledge that, how can the President of the United States be willing to negotiate with people 
who some would say are terrorists in a way. They don't want to work or release a bill. You know, it kills me when I hear Republicans say, I do not support funding states. And, and I agree, you shouldn't fund states because some of these states, you're probably going to fill some gap in their budget that they blew the fuck wide open with their pensions and they never bothered to take care of. But I would look at my Republican brothers and I'd say, you know, it's not a give me. It's a loan. You put $100 billion on the table, $2 billion per state, and the state that takes it, who needs it, it's a loan. They pay it back. But if we are not willing to help states because we feel like they don't need it or it's a blue state problem, who are we helping? Who are we hurting? States employ teachers, firefighters, policemen. And if states have budget shortfalls, who do we hurt? We hurt the people in our communities. We don't hurt Joe Biden. We hurt the people in our communities. We hurt Mary Lou. We hurt Tony, Justin. We hurt the same people that we're trying to protect. We have to be willing to listen to the other side and get out of this bubble that we put ourselves in. You know, I've been thinking and I said to myself, it's almost like politicians have to be the parents. They have to be willing to take a stand and say, you know what? It's not about my job. It's not about my seat. It's about taking care of the people in my district and making sure they're taken care of. My honest belief, if any politician did that, did that, you would not have to worry about getting reelected. You wouldn't have to worry about getting primaried because the people who would feel that you're looking out for them and you're listening, would come to your aid every fucking time. But you choose not to. You play to this space that does not want you to do anything but sit in Washington and make things worse. I don't think there should be safe seats. I think everybody should put their their seat on the line. Put a little skin in the game and no one is willing to. You would rather let the house burn the fuck down than actually do something, than actually lift a finger to stop the bleeding to stop the hurt, to stop the madness. For my Republican brothers who will sit there and they will say, you know, I want to work with Joe Biden, I just can't. To my Republican brothers that will say, the package is too big, 1.9 trillion. It's too big. What about the deficit? I would look, my brothers, Republican brothers in the eye, and I'd say, did you worry about the deficit four years ago? Did you worry about 
the deficit when you passed a $1.5 trillion tax cut that did not pay for itself. Did you worry about it then? No, you did not. You only worried about yourself. You only worried about yourself. Had you focused on the deficit, focused on that, you wouldn't have to focus on it now. But don't play the game of the deficit, the deficit, the deficit, the deficit. If you did not care why Donald Trump was spending money like a drunken sailor. You cannot have it both ways now. People are hurting. And as much as you might not like the bill, it's a good bill. It's a bill, like I told someone today, unlike the tax cut, goes straight to the American people. Takes care of their needs, the virus. He has said that the $15 minimum wage will probably be stripped out, which is understandable. You know, if you're going to do a COVID relief package, the one thing you, you probably hear is make it targeted. Make it targeted. I do agree. It should be targeted. It should be a bill that's targeted to the people that need it most. But what I fear also is that the bill has some renter assistance in it. We're creating a bubble, a bubble, a bubble that when it bursts, true people will really be hurt. Now, when I say bubble, if you couldn't pay your rent last March or last last April, and you have had forgiveness for then, and we give you more forgiveness, what about that back rent? What about that back mortgage? Are we setting people up to fail by giving them renter, you know, forgiveness? I know renter assistance, but how much assistance do we give? When do we start? When do we stop helping people and basically be in their, their crutch? We have to find, we have to find a way to do it that is beneficial to them, but at the same time beneficial to us. We have to find a way that makes it where when the economy truly starts, as you see what it's doing, truly starts to take off, we're not screwing over them. That's what we have to do. Because if not, we have created this system that we might just have to write off landlords or just pay them outright and say, please forgive the debt, and this is all the back rent. I mean, that could be a bill, now as you think about it. A bill instead of people getting direct money? Instead of people getting direct money? Instead of people giving direct money, we just pay the landlords? We focus on that. That's what we could be doing. But I, I see, you know, don't get me wrong, I like the money. The money is good. But we need to start thinking about those things. You know, politicians are parents. 
and they have to give us the hard talk, the hard medicine that we don't want to take. But sometimes we need to take it because by taking it, it makes us better. It helps us understand. It lets us know that the person in Washington is truly looking out for our special, our best interest. And if we don't, if we're one of those stubborn people who does not want to take his medicine because we feel like we know better, that we know better than the politician, we cannot be surprised on the outcome. Like I told my friend, I've learned that people are more gullible this past year. And it breaks my heart because the people that are sitting in jail, that are charged with serious crimes, did not get bailed out by the one who told him to come in, come to D.C. on the 6th, by the one who told him to go to the Capitol after he stirred them the fuck up. These people, I feel for because they probably feel lost. They feel alone. They walked into the Capitol and they walked the fuck back out. And they didn't have to worry about anything. They were on the top of the world. And as soon as they left the Capitol, all hell broke loose. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to think about these people. I've read news stories and articles and people being shocked and begging Trump for a parting and saying, I was doing it at the president's behest. Why should I be charged? I was following a lawful order. Why should I be charged? Why should I pay? for carrying out the president's wishes. The election was stolen. But here I sit in jail. Serious charges. Serious charges. And the president didn't bail me out. The president turned his back on me when I needed him the most. You know, I, I heard stories of you know, people saying, you know, if he did bill, he did give all those people pardon, it would affect him. It would have it would affect him in the trial. And the question I would say, it probably would affect you in the trial. But if you're a peop a person that truly wants to be a martyr, you truly want people to look at you as somebody that you're not, he should have pardoned them. And then let the chips fall where they may. He should have sat there and said, did a massive, everyone that broke into the Capitol on the 6th, I pardon you. It would have made him a martyr. It would have made him bigger than what he is. But by playing it safe, I've read articles where a lot of these people are starting to turn their back on Donald. You know, the Proud Boys have called him half of a man. And they don't even look up to him anymore. That's why when people say, you know, Trump 2024, I think he's going to have a hard time running in 2024 because I don't feel like the support is going to be there. I think the crowds will be a down a lot more. The fire will have died for Donald Trump. 
and he'll have a hard time trying to start the ignition. Do I, you know, I don't think he should have pardoned those people, but when I make that judgment, I'm just saying these people felt betrayed. They felt like they were doing the right thing. And now every day you turn on the news, I think we had just arrested two real estate agents. You know, there were people who were trying to fly back home and were put on a no-fly list. You know, good, honest people who felt they were doing the president's will. And it bit them in the ass. Trump bit them in the ass. He only showed that it was all about him. It was not about you. And now you're facing serious charges that could put you away for a long time. Is it justified? I mean, these people know right from wrong. They know when they're invited to a home and they're not. You know, I could say, hey, you're invited to Bobby Sue's house, but did Bobby Sue invite you? The Capitol's not the president's house, it's the speaker's house. Did the speaker invite you? That's what we have to look at. There are people right now who are scared shitless. We have to break away from the silos. We have to want to start anew. We have to want to be better than we were yesterday. We have to do the right thing. You know, if you don't watch CNN and you're a fuck, turn to CNN. Watch, listen. If you're a CNN, turn to Fox, listen. You should always want to hear what the other side is talking about. What are their talking points? You know, my buddy says to me every time, he says, you know, Mark, at the beginning of Trump's presidency, I sat there and I would argue with people. And I said to myself, if I, I I said to myself this, I said, if Obama was doing everything that Trump was doing, would I defend him voraciously? And I said, and my buddy said, yes, he would. And so then my buddy looked at everything and he said, you know what? I have to be willing to hear the other side. And once my buddy did that, he had a different perspective. He no longer viewed himself as a Democrat, but maybe more of as a, a moderate, a blue dog Democrat. You know, yeah, my buddy has conservative viewpoints, but he also has liberal ones. But when he did that practice, he showed himself that he is not dug in. And he started looking at Donald Trump as a different way. Promises kept, promises made. Donald Trump could have been the best president there ever was, but yet he let his ego get in the way. He let his, his mind set on what is right and what is wrong get in the way. He just had to do a few little things, 
a few little things. Can you imagine? Donald Trump, if you look at the polls, Donald Trump, when they did the analysis, his last week was starting to rise in the polls. You could almost say if Donald Trump had three more weeks, he would have won this. It also said that Donald Trump is the reason that the Republicans did not have a blood a bloodbath. He saved seats. He kept them close. <laughs> he kept them close. But if you read the article that talks about the election, he also bled white voters and white support. He did. You know, I look at it as a double-edged sword. He, he saved the Republican Party. But even after saving it, he couldn't save himself. He couldn't get himself over the finish line. It was an interesting read. It lets us know where we're going. It lets us know where the Republican Party is going. And as much you can say, that's why they're holding on to Trump. Because they know without him, there's no way they would have picked up seats in the House. But I would also caution the Republican Party with him. Can you win? 2018, look at those. Lost hand handily. These are the things we have to focus. What are the things we want? A good job, a good home, a place to put our heads at without fear. If we can do those things, we've done. If we can do those things, if we can do just those things, we can start to heal. We can start to bring this country back to where it used to be. You know, maybe when I was little, I didn't follow politics as deep as maybe I should have. But I, I, I feel right now we have to get back to a place where we can understand that we're willing to listen, to hear the other side. And I mean, both sides are divided. The Republican Party, the Democratic Party, they might not show it, but they are. You know, the one thing people don't fail to realize, when 2016, the Democrats kind of had their civil war. The Republican Party, they papered over theirs. And so what we're seeing is the civil war that should have come in 2016 not come because they elected a man that basically put everything on the back burner. The Republican Party right now has to decide which way are you going to go? Are you going QAnon or are you going establishment? You can't have it both ways. Like... The, the, the leader in the House, Kevin McCarthy, said, this is the Big Ten Party. And it's good that the Democrat, the Republicans, excuse me, the Republican Party is trying to start to figure that they, to grow, to win, they have to be a Big Ten. They have to be willing to hear all sides.
but at what cost, what extreme? It's that saying, what profits a man to gain the whole wide world to lose your soul? And right now we're seeing that. We're seeing a Republican Party not figured, not knowing what to do. We're seeing the, the leader in the House look weaker than I don't know what. He looks weak. He looks like he does not know how to lead. He, it's almost like he has no control over his party. And say what you want to say about Nancy Pelosi. She is a very strong and effective leader. She knows her caucus. She knows how to get votes. She knows how to control them and make them a voting block of one. You might have the progressives. You might have the establishments. You might even have some blue dogs in the house. She knows how to get them on one page. And right now, the Republican Party seems fractured. They don't know what page they want to be on. Say what you want about Donald Trump, but at least he went out. He went out and he expanded the Big Tent. He showed that he was a leader for that party. He might not have expanded his base, but he showed that he was a leader for that party. Kevin McCartney has not do, done that. You know, the year, I think it was when, when, when he got passed over for speaker before because he didn't have the votes. And it shows why people didn't want him to be speaker. And they gave it to Paul Ryan. But this year, you can see it. The question I would ask my Republican brothers and sisters, you're on the cusp. You're on the cusp of winning the house back. The cusp. Everything is going to break your way in 2022. You do not need a leader to ruin that. You do not need one person in your party preventing you from doing that. But heed my words. If you go QAnon, you might win some, but you'll lose more than you gain. If you go the Trump route, you see, 2018, Trump campaigned like never before, but he lost the House for the Republicans. Now, people will say, well, Mark, you know, the, the leader in the House always comes up short. You're right. That is, you're right. But he kept seats in the, in the Senate. So the question you have to realize, what was gone in the House that didn't happen in the Senate? If you look at this past year, what what, what's the difference? What's the disconnect? You know, you can want something so great in life, and I've been there, but I've also had to realize maybe I'm not the right man for the job. Maybe I'm not the right man for the job. And when you come to that realization, sometimes just being an assistant, a backbencher, a sixth man that gets off the bench but makes the play when the play needs to be made is what you need. Right now, the Republican Party has to find its way. 
It needs somebody that's willing to get off the bench. It needs somebody to say, you know what? Maybe I'm not meant to be speaker. Maybe I'm meant to get to the steps, but I can never go up. And that's okay. I've come to realize that. But at the same time, let me be an effective leader for this party. Let us get on one page because right now the Republican Party is fractured. You just had a vote to almost kick out Liz Cheney because she stood for her values. She stood up to her party and she said no. She said, I don't condone what the leader of this party has done, so I will impeach him. And people thought that was wrong. I would want a representative that thinks for themselves and not for the party. And then I would want somebody to explain their vote. You know, just because you live in a state where you support Donald Trump and you think everything he's done is great since then, and someone who you put in office pushes back and says, no, 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 what he did was wrong. You cannot get mad when they explain what they did. If they give you a valid reason, this man steady lied to people. He riled them up. He riled them up. He told them an election was lost when it wasn't. He had facts, but he never showed them. Oh, just show us the facts. Just show us. We've got the evidence. Show us the evidence. Please. I want to see it. I told my friends, I said, I want to see it. And if I see it, I'll be the first to say Biden should step aside. But we, we fell for a con man, and she saw that. She saw that. And guess what? She stood up and she said no. Along with nine others, they stood up to their party and they said, this cannot go on. But then you have a QAnon lady who speaks crazy shit. Crazy shit. And you back her? You back her? Because to save her hide, she changes her story just a little bit. Oh, I didn't mean that. Oh, I I, I was playing. You know, I, I, I agree to a point that they should have pulled her off her committees. But I also look to the fact that, like many people said when they cast that vote, the Republicans did, you're setting a dangerous precedent, Democrats. You're setting one where, let's say, Republicans in that take control in 2022 and things Maxine Waters has said. What are you going to do then? What do you do? You know, Maxine Waters said if you see anybody out in the Trump administration, give them hell. Don't give them one minute of peace. Representative Omar. She she did she denied a debate on Israel. She called out Israel and Palestine. And a lot of people, this country is so attached to Israel, they found that offensive. Should she be kicked off a committee because we don't agree with what she did? It sets a dangerous precedent. And Democrats did it before in the Senate. And when it came to bite them in the ass, they didn't like it. But you said it. 
And by kicking this woman off committees, you once again set a dangerous precedent. What we're seeing right now in politics, I believe, is people trying to have it both ways. The left's trying to have it both ways. The right's trying to have it both ways. And each side is struggling. They don't know what they want. They don't know where they're going. You know what pisses me off? Every four years, what do we hear? Education, schools. You know, I used to tell people, every four years they come and they tell us about the middle class. How they're going to take care of the middle class. Well, guess what? I'm the middle class and I'm still waiting to be taken care of. Why have we continued to let schools fail? Why have we continued to let infrastructure slide on the back burner? And nothing get done. Why do we spend money on tax cuts instead of putting money in buildings? This country is falling apart before our eyes, yet we play these political games. Because we don't care, we have no recourse. Representative Green said, you know, you kicked me off my committees, now I can raise money and do what I want. What the fuck? So basically. We're paying you to sit around and not do shit. To me, the moment you get kicked off committees, you should lose your job. Lose your job. You know why? Because if my job pays me to do a job, they expect me to do it. Congress is the only place where we can pay you not to do a job that we hired you for. And we can smile and look the other way. We're basically paying this woman to sit in Congress and not do shit, not be a leader, not make laws, not do anything to better the life of her constituents. All we're doing is allowing her to better the life of herself. And I'm tired of it. The left does it too. Congress should not be a place where you go to create a brand. If you want to create a brand, go be a celebrity. I don't want to know who my congressmen are. I don't want to know what they like and what they don't like. All I want to know is how they will make my life and my family's life better. I want to know, are they going to lead? Are they going to put their head down and do the fucking work? You know, there's a same, there's a, there's a show horse and a workhorse. And right now in Congress, we got a lot of show horses. We got too many, if you ask me. We need people who look you in the eye and say, you know what, if you send me to Washington, if you send me to Washington, I'm going to go and work on your behalf. I'm not going to Washington to make a brand. I'm not going to Washington to be a flamethrower. I'm going to Washington to reach out to the other side and say, you know what? You might not like what I stand for. You might not like my beliefs. But we have one thing in common. One thing in common. We have people that are depending on us depending on us to make laws that make their life better, not their life hard. 
And right now, we haven't been doing that. So if you sit with me, we can do the work of the American people. But if we continue to go down this path, what work are we doing? We're not doing that. Just meet me halfway. Can you do that? Meet me halfway. Marjorie Taylor Greene is an example, and I hate to say this, of low information voters, people who just vote their party and don't do research. The one thing about the Republican Party they've got to realize, you've just created a boogeyman that you created for the left, you've just created for yourself. How the squad scares the right, Marjorie Taylor Greene will scare the left. She will also scare people in your own party. You'll have to own up to everything she's ever said in life. Do you want that? Do you want to own what someone says? The last four years you had that. I know I don't. Who wants to walk into work every day and say, do you agree what Bobby Joe said? Well, what did Bobby Joe say? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. People want honest, understanding government. And right now what we're getting is not that. We're not getting honest, understood government. We're getting a government that doesn't reflect our viewpoints, doesn't reflect what we want, doesn't reflect us as a people. It reflects something that we just don't know. So as I say, we set a precedent. And you could almost say that the Democrats will come to dislike the precedent they, they set. And as bad as it sounds, it might come soon, sooner than later. The precedent I want to set is one where we actually start governing. We actually start working with the other side. We actually start looking at the other side as our as our companion, as our co-worker, but not our enemy. We need to sit down at a table with a piece of paper. What are your beliefs? What are your wants? What are your desires? What do the people really want from us? What do they need from us? We're, we're, we're running to the to these these anchors, these these people that sit in chairs that don't give a shit about us. They live for the ratings, they live for the the, the catfighting. We need to start living for the results, for the solutions. We've got the we've got the questions. Oh, we've got the questions. But do we have the answers? And if we do, are are the people ready to hear them? The one thing about governing, you're not going to get everything you want. You're not. You're not. You're not going to get everything you want. But can you get something? Can you get something? A nugget? A nugget? Can I get just a nugget that makes my life better? 
that that heals me to the core to know that when I put you in Washington, it truly helped me out. The problem that we run into is <laughs> gerrymandering. And, and you, you listen to it, but, you know, there's a commission now where people are actually trying to go back and, and say, we need to get rid of it. They're going to the Supreme Court. I think gerrymandering should be done away with. I think it's a ill-conceived theory where representatives pick their voters instead of the voters picking their representatives. Where you've got too many safe seats. Too many people in Congress are safe. I think if you're in Congress, you should never be safe. You should feel like you are sitting on a hot potato because you just don't know. And I like to think if you feel like you're safe, maybe it's time that you resign. You know, when I try to get my CDL, a truck driver said to me, you know what? If I ever, if I ever in my life, Go to my truck and I think I know it all, that's when I should be scared. That's when I should hang up what I'm doing. I think if you're a congressman and you know at any time all you have to do is put your name on the ballot and you're guaranteed a win, maybe it's time for you to step aside and let someone else have a go. I think gerrymandering has has polluted the pool for so long that I do think the Supreme Court needs to step in and say, no, no, not no more. You know how great it would be if we actually started solving the problems of this country? Just getting rid of gerrymandering is the one hang-up. It's the dam, and we are the, the water pushing against it, but we can't break through. We can't break through because they don't want us to. Let's get rid of the safe seats. Let's get rid of the people in Congress that just want to be show horses. We need workhorses. We need people that look after our interests, not the lobbyists. No more tax cuts that don't pay for themselves. You know, let's let's actually pass bills like we used to through committees and have honest feedback and dialogue where we can look and say, you know what? I didn't get everything I wanted, but I got something and then go home and have to sell it to the American people or the people of our district and be like, this is what I fought for. and This is what I got by electing me. You're electing somebody that actually wants to do something. Let's do that. And when we have to face off in a primary or a general election, you know, politics is about two people going in a dome and the best ideas win. Let's let those best ideas win. Maybe your idea is better than mine and maybe this cycle you should win. Maybe I should lose. But if we don't do that, if we don't do that, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> like I said, Republicans have an issue. Democrats have an issue. The American people have an issue. 
but we can solve it. We can fix it. We can make it better. We just have to stand up. This is why I started this podcast, because I wanted to do that. Meet me halfway. Meet me halfway and I will meet you the other. Ladies and gentlemen, the biggest issue I say today that I hate more than anything than people saying to fund the police is when people say we need to recall the governor. We need to recall a public official. Do you know, since we've created the recall program, only two governors have ever been successfully recalled. 1921, Governor Lynn Frazier of North Dakota and 2003, Gary Gary Davis of California. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Gary, California once again wants to recall their governor. Gary Newsom, um, Governor Newsom. They want to recall their governor because they do not like the way he's handled COVID. And, and you can agree, maybe he hasn't been the best at it. But the question I would ask to anybody who's sitting at this thing and saying, you know, a recall election is a good deal. You know, we need to recall the governor. I'd, I would look at them and say, okay, what can you do better that he's not doing? What do you see that could go better for, you know, the state of California that Newsom's not doing and we should recall him instead of waiting to the next election? <laughs> ask yourself that. What are we doing? Or is it just politics? Is it because we don't like him being, you know, a Democrat and we just want to spoil him? And, and what we're getting is a lot of people who, what we're getting is a lot of people. What we're getting is a lot of people saying, that very a lot of Trump supporters are signing this and they just want to spoil it. He's less than a hundred signatures away, hundred thousand signatures away from winning, from triggering a recall. Think about that, tricking a recall. <sighs> to me, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm doing some reading. I should have done it before. Trigging a recall. So we're going to, like I said, recalls are stupid. I remember Wisconsin did a recall. They didn't like Scott Walker, so they recalled him. What they did was they propelled Scott Walker's image. They gave him Hef. And after they gave him Hef, it made him think he could run for, you know, president. Scott Walker was a horrible candidate. But I, I think if you're the other party and you misjudge a recall election and it and you lose like the Democrats did here in Wisconsin, it could bite you in the ass. Because instead of letting the governor flame out on his own merit, you propel him to national entry, national, you know, the national spotlight, and you give him a bigger platform than what he needs. Instead of letting it go to, you know, him up for re-election, and then you just hit him over the head. So the question I would say, just like the Democrats did here in Wisconsin, are the Republicans overplaying their hand? I almost like to think they are.
they're not thinking smartly. They're thinking if we recall the governor, you know, everybody's going to go along with it. But who's to say that the person, okay, let's say this. Let's say you're, you're successful. This is the third successful recall election of a governor. What happens if the next guy gets in there and he realizes, shit, what the fuck am I going to do? I can't do no better than the last guy. Are we going to recall that guy because we didn't like, we don't like what he's doing? See, it becomes politics. You know, we're on a need-to-know basis on a lot of stuff. And what the governor is doing, maybe he's doing something he can't tell us. And like I said, it's a need-to-know. And as American people, like children, we want to know. We, we feel an obligation to know. But sometimes not knowing is good for us. Sometimes not knowing is what we need. But if we choose to go down the path of saying, we feel like you're not telling us the truth and we have to recall you, it could bite us in the ass. Like it bit the Democrats. Recall elections are stupid. And I would say that to anybody. I would look at the people on this, you know, so what is he doing that you're not open the state? Okay, he doesn't open the state because of the coronavirus because he's scared that people, the cases will go up and more people will die. You know, the hospital's overrun and overworked. So should he open the state and more people get sick and we just kill the healthcare, you know, industry in this state? What then? Are you going to blame him for that? Or is it you want to recall him because you don't like how he is a Republican, he's a Democrat, and you feel that something in this state could be better and we just need to recall him instead of, you know, instead of waiting to the next election to elect a Republican or vote him out in, let's say, a primary because we're saying the policies that this guy is doing or implementing is not working. To me, I think that's a better idea. But maybe you know better than I do. So let's think about those things. Let's, let's look at those things. Because if we choose not to, we're no better than the people we're no better than the people writing that list saying they know and they don't. You know, I want to make this country better. We need to make this country better. But if we choose not to, by doing recall elections, by not listening to the other side, by thinking we know better when we don't, what have we really accomplished? What have we really done? Right now in this country, we're, we're at a crossroads. But like I said, we just need somebody to meet us in the middle. Ladies and gentlemen, will you meet us in the middle? Will you meet me in the middle? We need more workhorses, not show horses. We need more people to truly look after the middle class, the working man, and not just themselves. We've had people tell us they would. We've had people promise us they would. But every time we look around, they keep kicking the can down the road. I'm tired of kicking the can down the road. I want to pick the can up and throw it away and finally tackle these issues that we need to tackle. So, ladies and gentlemen, can we tackle them? Can we make this country better? Meet me in the middle. 
That's all I ask. You meet me in the middle, I'll meet you. Ladies and gentlemen, have a good night. Enjoy the game. Impeachment week. It's going to be a very interesting. See you next time.